All right, uh, lift off and the clock has started. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things. Not because they are easy, but because they are hard. Houston, uh, Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed. Discovery, go at throttle up. And lift off, the final lift off of Atlantis on the shoulders of the space shuttle. America will continue the dream. This is The Space Shot, episode 385, Osiris Rex and Bennu. My conversation with Dan Shears, I'm John Mulnix. My name is Dan Shears. Um, I'm a, a distinguished professor at the University of Colorado, and I um, have my uh, uh, position is in the Smead Aerospace Engineering Sciences Department in the College of Engineering and Applied Science. Welcome back, everyone. It's been a few weeks. Today, you'll hear my conversation with Dr. Daniel Shears, or Dan, as he likes to be called. He's a University of Colorado Distinguished Professor and the Radio Science Lead and Co-Investigator on NASA's OSIRIS-REx mission to the asteroid Bennu. Before we dive into that chat, I've got a quick update. The interview I had scheduled with the Zero to Infinity CEO has slipped, and at this point I don't have an update on when the next interview will take place. I'll be sure to keep everybody updated when I have a new date. Also, the Commercial Space Update episode is coming soon. I've been a little bit preoccupied in my personal life over the past couple weeks, so I do apologize for that delay. Now, let's head to Bennu, or more accurately, Boulder, Colorado, for my chat with Dan, so we can learn more about this incredible mission. So Dan, thanks for coming on the podcast. We're going to be talking about Bennu and the OSIRIS-REx mission, which is something that CU Boulder is involved with. Um, Can you tell us a little bit about why Bennu and why the OSIRIS-REx mission? Yeah, um, it's, it's super exciting, so I love talking about it. Um, so, uh, the Osiris Rex mission, and I'll talk about that first. Is uh, it's actually uh, the the principal investigator is at the University of Arizona. It's Dante Loretta. Um, so the it's sort of run out of there. But uh, University of Colorado, we have some key roles to play in that mission, and I've been involved with Osiris Rex uh, for over a decade already. Um, so the and the mission itself is to go out, visit an asteroid, get a sample of that asteroid, and bring it back to Earth, so that they can bring it in and, and do very detailed analysis and really break down what are the fundamental components of that material that we grab from this asteroid. I should mention that the spacecraft was actually built in uh, the Denver area uh, by Lockheed Martin, mm-hmm. and they are the, uh, the prime spacecraft and sort of the, the operations center for everything that goes on. So, so actually, even though the science center is down in Tucson, Arizona, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the operations and a lot of the activity is right up here in the Denver area. So it's only like a 45-minute drive for us to get down to the Operation center, which is which is cool, and we like to do that once in a <laughs> for while. sure. Yeah. <laughs> so um, the Osiris Rex is a NASA mission, um, uh, and and it was chosen as part of the New Frontiers program, and these are sort of billion dollar class missions. So it's a it's a big mission. Mm-hmm. It's not as big as like a Cassini mission or 
James Webb Space Telescope, but it's bigger than uh, uh, you know as other missions that, sure. that are out there. Um, and and to go to an asteroid, collect a sample, and bring it back. That's a lot of work. There's a lot of activity. So we want to go to an interesting asteroid. There's a lot of asteroids out there, and I think they're all interesting, <laughs> but some are more interesting than others. Um, and uh, the the asteroid that we're going to right now, it's, it's classified as a B-type asteroid or a carbonaceous asteroid. What that really means is that it's a very primitive body. It's a very primitive asteroid. We think the material that it's made out of has been relatively unchanged since the dawn of the solar system. So a couple billion years. Yeah, <laughs> p- potentially. More right. or less. Right. It's, it's probably been through a couple of cycles of you know uh, forming a larger body than getting broken up. But we believe it's never been heated up enough to actually drive the water out of the uh, out of the minerals, um, and to sort of you know sort of uh, change its um, its state, uh, so to speak. So that's that's why we go to Bennu because Bennu turns out to be one of these very primitive asteroids. Um, it's also turns out to be an asteroid that's relatively easy to get to in terms of a spacecraft. Okay, because the big problem with space is, you know, you have to bring your own propellant with you. Um, And especially for a sample return, you not only have to go to the asteroid, and then you have to stop at the asteroid. And then you hang out at the asteroid, then you have to come all the way back to Earth again. Um, So that takes a lot of propellant. Bennu turns out to be one of the uh, cheapest, quote unquote, asteroids to get to that has this interesting composition. So that's really why we go to Bennu. So, I mean, that's one of the things that it's, you know, that NASA is interested in it is because it's one of those asteroids that could potentially pose a threat to Earth. The, yeah, that's another that's another aspect of Bennu. Um, uh, just because it's easy to get to doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to hit the Earth at any time sure. in the future. However, uh, it turns out that Bennu is, is one of the most hazardous asteroids that we know. And, but let me... Qualify. Okay. Okay. <laughs> what do I mean by that? That that means that at some point in the future, and um, I think this point in the future is like a hundred years or so. Uh, there's a possibility that Bennu might hit the Earth. Now the probability is 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 actually quite small. Sure. Um, uh, but but it's it's you know it, it it's something that we need to keep our eye on. Sure. It's far enough in the future. So we don't need to worry about it right now. Um, but one of the things that we'll do by going to Bennu, visiting it, being in orbit around it, is we'll be able to nail down its location, its orbit, so to speak, very precisely. We'll also be able to determine very precisely all the very small, what we call non-gravitational forces that act on it. Things like sunlight shining on the body. It's like off-gassing. Yeah, and off-gassing okay. and all that can push this, you know, push the body just a very, very small amount. But, uh, you know, it could push us, it could push Bennu so that it misses the Earth or it could push Bennu so that it hits the Earth. <laughs> and, and this is something that we want to understand. Sure. And one of the things we get out of this mission is, uh, is also a better understanding of is there a real risk for Bennu hitting us in the future or not. 
that's not why we're going to Bennu, but it's this 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 big benefit that 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 we get from getting the sample and analyzing this very primitive body is we also get to do a little you know a planetary defense is what is, is a technical term for it. sure it's crazy how many things i want today the day that we're doing the interview is the um, anniversary of the meteor that exploded over russia right the chelyabinsk yeah yeah and it's kind of a it's perfect time to have this conversation, I guess, for that one. Yes. Um, so one of the things that, that your team here at CU is looking at specifically then is the radio science for the mission. How does that play into determining the composition of the asteroid? Yeah, so so radio science is sort of this weird term. It actually applies to many, many different types of scientific investigations. For this mission, what that really means is, is um, well, if you think about it, every time the Earth communicates with the spacecraft and the spacecraft communicates with the Earth, we send radio waves back and forth. Sure. And um, it turns out uh, because there's, you know, a, a speed or, a, um, you know, we're traveling relative to each other, there's this thing called the Doppler shift. Mm-hmm. Which um, which actually changes the frequency that the Earth beams up to the spacecraft, gets it, beams it back down, and we can actually measure the relative speed between the Earth or a tracking dish and the asteroid. So that's the radio part. Okay. <laughs> and what we do is we actually can use that measurement of the speed and the change in the measurement of the speed in order to actually measure the accelerations that are acting on the spacecraft. Okay. We have to do a lot of other modeling. There's a lot that goes into it. But this is the fundamental measurement that we make. If you can measure the acceleration that the spacecraft is feeling, uh, when we're next to the asteroid, we get to measure you know, how the asteroid is attracting our spacecraft. Sure. And, and so really, we're measuring the gravitational attraction of Bennu. Uh, another way of thinking of it is we're weighing Bennu, okay? okay. And, uh, and then by orbiting around it for a while, we can actually do more than just get the total mass. We can actually start to get insight into how lumpy that mass is distributed inside of the body. So if there's like caves or if there's voids, yeah, okay. yeah. Uh, voids or concentrations of matter or or if everything is just uniformly distributed inside of it by uh, uh, using this tracking data from the deep space network uh, and, you know, using this measurement of the Doppler shift, you know, the same thing that the cops use, you know, on your car as you speed by, essentially. Um, <laughs> Not uh, me. I wouldn't know anything about yes, that. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So you're we're, we're, we're measuring the, you know, the mass distribution of this asteroid. So when when we're in orbit around Bennu now, one of the things that I found interesting about this when I was reading about the mission is how slow the spacecraft is moving relative to Bennu. Can you talk a little bit about how that would play into the radio science investigations? Yeah, that, well, it, it, it does. And in fact, that's just this very fascinating aspect of the mission. Um, so right now we're in a... Um, I can pull out my calculator and I'll do this little calculation. <laughs> Perfect. I want to get it right. 
So we've measured, we've now measured the mass of Bennu. Okay. I can tell you the mass, but that's not what we do. We, we, what we actually deal with is this thing called the gravitational parameter. Okay. And for Bennu, it's about five meters cubed per second squared. Divide that by a thousand meters because that's our, how close we are to the body okay. right now. Square root. And we are traveling at about seven centimeters per second right now <laughs> in, in orbit around the body. Um, that's really slow. That is, yeah. If you think about it, you have you would have a hard time walking that slowly. That's like that's like you know uh, uh, super slow motion. Just <laughs> you know measure out seven centimeters. What would that be? It'd be like uh, half a foot, less than half a take. foot, like four inches or something yeah. like that. Um, try to walk at four inches per second, five inches per second. It's in fact, this would be a great activity <laughs> for right? little kids, yeah, for, for little, students. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, that's how slow we're orbiting around this body. Wow. But the body is so small that even though we're going that slow, we can still go all the way around the body in like a a, a day or so. Wow. So so we're orbiting around this body. The body itself is only like five hundred meters across. So. Here in the front range, if you threw Bennu back up in the mountains, yeah, it would just be this this little, this little, little hill. hill, yeah, this little <laughs> bump, or like you know, like an anthill. You just climb up to the top of it and say, "Oh, okay, there's bigger mountains over there." Um, however, yeah, but but even something that small, you can go into orbit around it. It can be and you can be captured into orbit, and you can actually measure the gravitational attraction that this guy has on you. But yeah, everything is just scaled down, scaled down. If you stood on the surface, um, the gravity field on the surface is about what we would call one micro G, which means it's a millionth of the Earth. Oh, my gosh. So, so okay. yeah, however much you weigh, you would weigh a millionth that much on Bennu. It's a different state of matter. Yeah. Really. Um, when I was a kid, I remember, the, you know, the big thing about the moon is you go to the moon and like the tenth of your weights is like, oh, wow, that's so awesome. Well, this is a millionth. We got the moon beat, right? Alan Shepard really could have uh, had a big oh. drive off of Ben. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. You sneeze. I mean, literally, you sneeze uh, or, or if you travel at like 10 centimeters, 15 centimeters per second, you escape and, and you go off and you never come back. Oh, my gosh. So, uh, and that's like dropping something from a millimeter, less than an inch, you know, the, the speed that you build up on Earth. So it's, yeah, it's a completely different world in terms of orbiting, in terms of touching the surface. And that's what we need to do. Yeah. Because it's a sample collection. What kind of force would the spacecraft experience then when it touches the surface? Yeah. So so the the attraction is so weak that we don't just let ourselves fall because that would take a very long time. We sort of, you know, speed up a little bit and, and run at the asteroid. Okay. And uh, right now the, 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 the contact is designed so that we're traveling at about 10 centimeters per second when we hit the surface, which is... Again, still slow. extremely <laughs> slow, but that's faster than, you know, sort of the orbital mechanics speed there. Um, and uh, but but when we hit the asteroid, it's as if if you walk into a brick wall at that speed, 
that's the force that we feel, so to speak. You know, the mass of the spacecraft behind you um, or just yourself. You know, if you, if you walk slowly into a brick wall, you it's still walk into a brick yeah, wall, right? Yeah. You still could bump your nose. <laughs> um, the, the thing is, we don't think it's brick. We think it's some weird, maybe like a sandy surface. There are boulders on the surface. There are rocks on the surface. We don't know how strong they are. Okay. So it's more like going up into the open space and walking into a cliff face at 10 centimeters <laughs> per second. Before you can do that, though, there's a lot of reconnaissance that has to be done on the surface. What you know? How does the radio science then play into that? We, you talked a little bit about the distribution of how the asteroid is composed on the inside. Mm-hmm. Does that give insight to the team then on where they should be looking for a potential sample spot? Yeah. So, so our data doesn't drive them that much, although they need to understand how that mass is distributed. Because when we do come really close to the surface, that could pull us one way or the other. So yeah, we always like to, especially NASA <laughs> likes to plan everything out to the nth degree. Yeah, uh, and and they get worried if if your predicted trajectory is going to deviate because of those mass concentrations. So our our result feeds into that. But we have a lot of other instruments on the spacecraft, and they're looking at the uh, really looking at different wavelengths of light. You know, from thermal emissions uh, down to visible, uh, uh, you know, what we see in in, in between uh, near infrared and all that. And by looking at the reflectance of the body at all these different wavelengths, uh, we can actually uh, get clues as to what it's, you know, what it's really made out of. We obviously had a pretty good idea of what it was made out of before we went and flew there. Sure. Okay. Uh, but now that we're very close to it, we can get these really high-resolution images of it. Uh, we can see how the material is distributed over the surface, uh, what the color of the material is. That's really what looking at different wavelengths is, is just looking at the colors. Sure. Is it reddish? Is it you know, black? Is it this or that? Um, the, our, our scientists on the team can actually start to, to, to identify this region is a little more interesting than that region. This region looks older or looks like it's been disturbed more recently. So maybe right. some old stuff from the bottom has been you know, raised oh, wow. up to the, to the surface. Um, and, 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 and so right now the scientists are just going, you know, pouring over all these images. We're about to enter this phase they call detailed survey. Where essentially this is what they do: <laughs> take lots of images from with different lighting conditions and all this, get all this information so that they can determine what's the most interesting place to go grab a sample. Okay. Now, part of that is also what's the what's safest place yeah. to go grab a sample, and and there's this tension. So. If you're a scientist on this mission, you say, oh, you can, yeah, I, I don't care what the dangers are. Let's go there because that's the coolest bit. You know, if you're like the navigators or the engineers, the spacecraft engineers, you're like, ah, no thanks. No. Uh, there's a nice little sandy beach over there. Let's go there, <laughs> even though you're not interested in it. So so there's this natural tension. And then the, the PI, uh, uh, Dante Loretta, it has to is is sort of um, managing that, and then ultimately NASA gets to call the shots. Sure. Um, but but he really has the authority, and and if he does a good job balancing the safety versus the science, uh, NASA will say, 
Job well done. Yeah. <laughs> Do it. Fingers crossed for that. Yes. There's obviously for research institutions and for schools like CU, there's got to be some student involvement in a mission like this. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So the, the CU radio science team um, is there's basically four of us here. Okay. It's uh, myself and another professor, Jay McMahon. Uh, and I'm like the radio science lead. He's the deputy lead. But we work very closely together on all of the activities that we need to do. And we have two uh, graduate students, uh, PhD students, who are helping us out on this work as well. It's Andrew French. Uh, and then uh, another student is uh, Dan Brack. Okay. And they're doing, at some level, some of the, the more grunt work of you sure. know, let's run the code and <laughs> you know, process the data. Uh, uh, and then Jay and I are, are a little more oversight or uh, you know, pulling together all the information, doing scientific analysis with that, presenting it at conferences. Uh, hopefully, you get the students to present stuff as well yeah. um, uh, and, and, and all that. So, so that's the CU radio science team. We also have uh, members of the radio science team that are at JPL, okay. and so they're you know not in the educational institution. This is their job, and and they're they're actually working on a slightly different aspect of the mission where they're uh, actually measuring how strongly the sunlight is pushing the asteroid, and they're much more interested in this whole planetary defense thing which is where is the asteroid actually going to be in, you know, 60, 80 years, whenever it comes close to the Earth? Is it going to miss us or not? Well, that seems like there's probably some other applications for that then, too, with like solar sails, with anything pushing on a body like that. So that seems like a pretty cool part of the mission, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have to develop uh, and improve our methods of calculating all these tiny little forces acting on things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and actually, even though they're tiny little forces, these tiny little forces really just from sunlight shining on objects uh, turn out that they have this huge influence on how the whole solar system and especially on how the small bodies in the solar system move around and, and uh, sort of evolve over millions and billions of years. So, so actually, by, by characterizing and measuring these things very precisely for Bennu, uh, we'll be able to take those scientific results and apply it to all these other bodies. Wow. So, so that's a big, another benefit of doing it. You know, and I'm glad you, you were talking a little bit about the students, too, because that's one of the things that you're laying the groundwork for future missions with the science that's returning, but it's also helping lay the groundwork for the people that are going to be involved 20, 30 years from now in your role. Yeah, that's very true. And, and in fact, it's, it's a point of pride with our department is the, the, we have, um, uh, I, I guess maybe like 20 ish or so of our alumni involved with the, the uh, uh, sort of the flight operations of OSIRIS-REx, okay. working at Lockheed, working at Goddard, uh, uh, working at JPL, working at all these other institutions. So, um, so e- yes, right now we're training students that they'll be able to do this in the future. We've already trained a lot of students that are doing this right now. So for us, so for, for us, us yeah. this is <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, a, it's a, a point of pride. We had a story that we that, that was written about this uh, okay. 
uh, I don't know, a few months ago or so. Okay. But how many alums of the department are actually uh, integrally involved with the mission? And in fact, a lot of them are in leadership roles. So I'll be sure to uh, get a link to that then, and I'll make sure it's in the show notes for the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I can give that to you. Okay, cool. And you know, one of the other things too is you know laying the foundation for future missions. What will we be able to take from this mission to Bennu and apply to other missions, whether it's, you know, in the outer solar system or to other asteroids? What are some of the practical lessons that can be learned? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, and you can split that up into a couple different areas, actually. Okay. First, scientifically, you know, once you go to a body like this and we have a large team of people spending a lot of time cracking the nut of how do you actually navigate a spacecraft here? How do you come down to the surface? How do you do all this work? Once this mission is over, we'll have this understanding of all of these operational approaches. And we might be able to, to identify parts of it that could be really pushed off to you know, you know more of a, a, a robotic spacecraft that you know can operate on its own. Okay. So we could potentially, based on what we learn from our experience here, start designing uh, cheaper, smaller satellites that we could send out. They could do a lot of this grunt work themselves, and you know, then you know, email back our you know the interesting information that they find. Sure. The first time you do this, this is incredibly hard. You need this huge team, and maybe you will always need a huge team to make this work. But we'll also gain insight from doing this work that we might figure out how to do things more economically so that we can have, uh, you know, so we can spend, you know, for the same amount of dollars, more satellites out to a wider range of asteroids to do more science. So just from a science perspective, that's one one approach. And that's independent of everything that we learned that changes what we think we know that then motivates new missions to check out other things. Okay. Uh, in, an, in, in another vein, we've already talked about it, is the whole planetary defense thing. Everything we learn about Bennu becomes extremely important if we need to push Bennu out of the way in the future. Okay. Uh, and and we'll know. Fingers crossed, we don't have yeah, to. <laughs> we don't have to. Um, although it's something that hopefully everyone can rally around. That is worldwide. true. Yes, <laughs> that would be nice. Um, but yeah, you know the the composition, the strength of the body itself, uh, how how much void space is in the interior or not, because you know one of the most likely ways of of deflecting an asteroid like uh, of the size of Bennu is you take a you know, ideally a big garbage truck, you know, loaded up with junk in space and you go as fast as you can and you run into it. Uh, and, and you sort of, it's called a kinetic deflection. Okay. And yeah, you just try to push it out of the way because you don't need to push it very much. If it's going to hit us maybe in, you know, a uh, hundred years, you know, you know, a millimeter per second now is, is, a is a lot. Yeah, exactly. Um, so that's the second way. The third way, and this is a little more far, you know, in, in the future probably, but in some levels, this is the first uh, or one, I, I wouldn't even say it's the first, but it's the next step in sort of the, the, the practical utilization of asteroids or the mining of asteroids. And what we learn out of this mission 
about composition, what interesting material is there, how much water is or isn't uh, trapped in the minerals, um, how do we operate around a small body like this? Is it practical for us to go there with a 3D printer and a scoop and, you know, put stuff in the hopper and yeah. print parts or, <laughs> you know, exude water or, or something like that? So, so also Cyrus-Rex is another step in that direction okay. of, of just how can we utilize all the stuff that is out there in space um, quote unquote free for the taking so yeah it's a, it's an environment we haven't spoiled yet and it's pretty big so it might take us a while and a legal oh gosh all the legal you know questions related to yeah. that too it's well, literally yeah. a new frontier it, it is <laughs> it is yes there's so many so many things you know people like to say and this has been one of my big themes I guess for when I've been doing the podcast is you know the golden age of space exploration was Mercury Gemini Apollo mm -hmm. and I think you know this this mission is just another example of how we're living in the golden age right now yeah yeah especially for robotic craft yeah. uh, what's been happening in the last few decades have been just astounding um, when I came into the field, um, one of the first things I did was uh, interning at JPL, working on the Galileo mission. Okay. Uh, I was there a summer before it launched, and I was there the next summer after it had launched. And cool. it was very, it was very cool. Uh, and and from that, even in my mind, you know, you can go back to Voyager, but from that point forward, there's been so many missions that we've had. Uh, that if I tried to list them all, I'd forget half of them probably. But they've all really shaped our view of the solar system and of the cosmos. Um, and and you know, once you know these things, you can't take it back. Yeah. Uh, and and even if you forget what the name of the mission is, you don't forget the understanding or the insight that it gave you. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's there's just so many things that humans can't do yet for space flight. So mm -hmm. why would we wait around for us to be able to go out and do it? Let's just send some robots. <laughs> that is true. I've always thought, you know, people would probably pay to teleoperate a robot on, on the moon. It's not quite the same as being there, but... Uh, you can, you know, leave your booth and go back home. <laughs> wonder, I wonder how far away we are from something like that. Probably not too far. I think, yeah. <laughs> if someone wanted to dump some money into it, I think they could, they could make. They that. have to cut you in, though, obviously. Uh, yeah, I know I gave it away a long time ago. So. <laughs> oh, goodness. Well, Dan, I've, I've really appreciated talking with you, and I hope I can have you on again in yeah, the future. I'd love to. Um, I'll tell you, we've got, we're finding out some awesome stuff. And you may want to talk to me in the future once we publicize it all. Sounds good. So it's just, Bennu is very cool. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll leave you with that. <laughs> A little teaser, you know, yes. always leave everybody wanting more. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks. This was fun. Links to everything we talked about today are in the show notes, so be sure to check those out. If you're new to the podcast, I would appreciate it if you could leave a review in iTunes. Reviews help more people find out about the show, and I'd be grateful if you could leave one. Until next time, I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side. <laughs>